It's a good day, and I'm glad that you've joined us today in our um, Jackson Pollock of a stage. <laughs> this is one of the joys of, uh, of renting in the theater, just whatever the set is for the, the given show. I think this is Mean Girls Junior. This is the set for, and we were like, I don't know what it is, but it looks artistic. At first, at first they had just done the red, and it looked a little like a bloodbath, but, uh, but uh, it changed. They added some other colors and stuff, and now it just looks like, a, a, like an impressionist paint. Not impressionist, that's wrong. Whatever. Modern painting. What's the word? Art majors. Abstract? Okay, an abstract painting. There you go. But I'm glad you joined us today. We're starting off the year by talking about our relationships. We're talking about how to have the best year that we can and grow as close to God as we can and grow as close to as each other as we can. Getting ready next week to start our series in Luke. And starting next week, just so you know, we will be in Luke for the rest of the year. All right. I first, when I sat down and I laid out Luke, and I did it like, and this, before we get to what we're talking about today, I laid out Luke as I normally do and broke it down into sections, as, just like we do anytime we're going through a book of the Bible, broke it down into the sections, laid them all out, just came home from, from uh, work that day. She came in, I said, we got a problem. She said, what's the problem? I said, if, I do, if we do Luke the way we normally walk through a book, this is going to be a 99-week series. <laughs> and I was like, as much as I love Luke, I don't think we want to spend the next two years in the book of Luke. We got other things we got to talk about. So anyway, so we're going to do it a little creatively, and I'll talk more about that next week. But as we're kicking off this year, we want to start the year the best way that we can. We want to grow the way God wants us to grow this year. And one of the things that we know from life, I'm sure you've learned it the same way I've learned it, is that the key to fulfillment in life is relationships. It's our relationship with God and it's our relationship with other people. And if everything else in our life is going great, but our relationship with God is not good or our relationship with other people is not good, then things are not going good for us. And if everything in our life is absolutely in the tank and terrible, yet we have a good relationship with, a God, with God and good relationship with other people, then we'll be just fine. It is the key to stability and life. And God, Jesus himself said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those things have to do with our relationships. And so if we're gonna start this year off right, we're gonna start by talking about how to make our relationships more honoring to God. And we've been doing that in Ephesians chapter four. So if you have your Bibles and you wanna go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter four, if you are jumping in on this and you're joining us for the first time, um, we are reading through Ephesians just chapter four and Paul is dealing with a group of mixed people in Ephesus, um, Jews and Gentiles. So you've got Jews that had been following the law their entire life. They had known the law and the prophets and they'd follow all the rules and rituals and sacrifices and all the things that they were supposed to do. And they realize, many of them, that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied about. They accept him as their savior and they're now part of the church. But at the same time, you have these people that are classified in Scripture as Gentiles. They are non-Jews who've grown up in all different kinds of religions, pagan worship or no religion at all, from all over the place. And on top of that, Ephesus is a port city. And so there are people from everywhere in Ephesus with all different kinds of beliefs. But many of them also, because of Paul's preaching and message, see that Jesus is the Savior, believe in him and trust in him for salvation. And now they're a part of the church. So now you have Jews and Gentiles together with these two vastly different backgrounds who for their entire lives had been enemies and now they're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not an easy thing to deal with. And so that's what, honestly, half of the New Testament has to do with is how Jews and Gentiles come together in faith 
to worship Jesus and to live the life that they've been designed to live. And so that's what, in Ephesians chapter 4, that's what Paul is dealing with. And so he starts off talking about how they need to be people of peace. That was week one in the series. Then he talks about how they need to be people of unity, that you guys are one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. You are one in Christ. And so you need to be people of unity. And then last week we talked about being people of, uh, what was the word? What was the word that I used? Partnership. Yes, that's good. You're a note taker, aren't you, Valerie? Anyway, all right. Yeah, partnership. That's right. Because he talks about, yes, you are, you are all one in Christ, but you are also all individuals. And so you've been given gifts and you need to use those gifts for the greater good within the church. So we talked about partnership and serving each other and caring for each other last week. This week, he's going to take it a step further and show us what is at the heart of this and how to make this happen, how they can make it happen, and how we make it happen today as well. So we're going into Ephesians chapter 4. We're now at verse 17. Um, I think we're finishing the chapter. We're getting pretty close today. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, we always talk about this. We always will. When you see the word therefore, you need to look to see what it's there for. Right, so what we're about to read is, thank you, Jimmy, that was... I'm just calling everybody out today. That was, you were the loudest one. Thank you for that. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the context of what we're about to read, and this could get missed, the context of what we're about to read is everything we just read and talked about. So what we're about to read, even though it's gonna look like it's about you, just you as an individual, it's about how you as an individual and me as an individual, the choices we individually make affect all of us in our relationships because that's what he's talking about in this section. Okay, so this I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all all uncleanness, with greediness. So we're going to pause right there and talk about what what we just read. He said, you're not going to walk like this anymore. You're not going to walk like everybody around you walks. And, And we need to make the same commitment. We need to look at the world and how they tell us we're supposed to live and how the world, society, culture, media, all that tells us we're supposed to live, tells us what's normal, uh, tells us what's acceptable. And we're going to look at that and we're going to say, I'm not going to walk that way just because everyone else walks that way. I'm going to walk the way that God created me to walk, the way he designed for me to walk. And he says, when he's talking about the, you know, these Gentiles, outsiders outside the church, he said, you're not going to walk like they walk in the futility of their mind. He said, they are alienated from the life of God, which means they are missing out on the intent that God has for their life. They are missing out on what God designed for us and the life he designed for us, the love and the joy that he designed us for. And if we choose to relate to people and relate to God or relate to people in the way that the world tells us to, we are gonna miss out on the life that God created for us. If we just do things the way everyone else does, if we're looking at relationship shows or we're reading books that are are just from the world on how to relate or how to improve your marriage or your friendships, we're going to be, we have to be very careful because it will cause us to not walk the way we're supposed to walk in human wisdom and understanding, and we'll miss out. One of the things that really caught me here was the, the phrase, because um, in, the, in the New King James, it's a little confusing, but he says, um, where is it? Who being past feeling, 
when I read that, I was like, well, that's interesting. So obviously research everything. But I was, I was reading the, um, the uh, English Standard Version of this particular passage. And that version uses the phrase, uh, have become callous, being past feeling, have become callous. Okay. And this, uh, that word really jumped off the page to me because as a guitar player, I understand calluses. <laughs> if, you, if you're a guitar player or if you've ever played the guitar, you know that the strings on the guitar don't feel good <laughs> on your fingers. These, the higher strings on an acoustic guitar, it's the, it's the gold one or the, the phosphor, the bronze ones. They're actually, there's a, there's a wire inside of there, but then there's a, a wire wrapped all the way around the outside of it, all the way down. It's a, it's a, it's a wound string and uh, it, it hurts. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's abrasive when you move your finger on it. And then these, these two smaller ones up here, they're just one solid wire, but they are so thin. <laughs> like they, they're just, they want to get you. That's what they want to do. And so when you first start playing guitar, one of the first things you have to do is you have to build up your calluses. You have to play often, you have to play regularly and you have to play a lot. And when you do that, you build up the calluses on your fingers so that you no longer feel the, the, the pain from playing the guitar. And so at this point, I play guitar enough that these things are dead. <laughs> the ends of my fingers are just dead. I don't feel anything on the, and I can contrast that to this hand because this hand doesn't have calluses on it. So I can tell the difference between the two. And so what he's saying is that what human beings have done, he's calling it the Gentiles here, but this would be anybody outside of God's family, anybody outside of God's truth. What we've done as a society and a people is we've calloused ourselves to God's will in our relationships. And people are walking through the world, relating in a human way, relating in a way everyone tells them to relate, experiencing the pain of that, but not fully feeling the pain of that because they're accustomed to it. They're used to it. They've adapted to it. People are walking it through this life in tremendous relational pain and disconnection, and they just think it's normal. And so they accept it, and they live in it, and they walk in it. And for some people, they can't even understand or picture the kinds of relationships that God has created us for because they've been darkened, because they've been calloused, because they've been taught by the world, this is how we relate to each other, in a selfish way, in a predatory way, in an angry way, in a, in a responsive, reactive way. And because people have just have built up calluses, they think it's okay, and that's the way that they're supposed to live. But what we have the opportunity as believers to do is to live in a different way, to live the way God created us to live, and then to shine a light into the darkness so people can see the way that we're living and go, oh my goodness, there's a totally different way of relating to people. And so those calluses need to come off. And so we need to make a decision first and foremost as, as people, as individuals to say, I am not going to relate to, to other people the way the rest of the world does. I am going to relate to people the way that God shows me to. This is, um, this is the heartbeat behind our church. This is why our church started. When Jess and I started talking about what we were going to do next, we were in a season of transition. And when we were talking about what we were going to do next, here's what we saw. Now, she um, works at a middle school, and she's an assistant principal at Irwin Middle School. And as an assistant principal, you deal with discipline all the time. Kids coming down and sitting in the, in the toughest parts of their life from all over the place, from all different. I mean, it's public school, and I mean, from everywhere, right? They come and sit down in front of her. And what she noticed was that Every kid that came and sat down in a chair in front of her was there because they did something in class or the hallway. But they did the thing in class or in the hallway 
because of something that was happening at home. It always, always, always goes back home. And for some one reason or another, and in lots of different ways, and she realized that she was doing all that she could in the school, but ultimately the solution was at home. And as we started to look at more and more of our society, we realized that's the truth across the board. Ultimately, almost every problem that we have in our society and the pain that people go through can be, can be traced back to the home somewhere, sometime. And it shouldn't be surprising because Jesus did tell us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we're not doing that, we're going to experience pain. So this is logical. It makes sense straight from the mouth of Jesus. And we realized that if we were gonna make a difference in our community, the way we were gonna do it was by showing people how to relate in the way that God created them to, designed them to. And so that's where this all started. And we didn't know how we were, what we were gonna do with that, how we were gonna do it, where we were gonna do it. We just knew we were, well, I mean, we knew where. We knew we were gonna do it here in Salisbury because that's where God had planted us. We said, we wanna help people understand how to honor God in their relationships. And as we searched through that and prayed through that, we realized the best way to do that was to gather a, people, a group of people that would do it with us. And so that's why this church exists. It's not so that we can come and have services and, and worship together on the weekend. That's fun. That's great. We love this. This is a fantastic time that we spend together every single week. But ultimately, the goal for our church is to help to equip people to honor God in their relationships. And we do that with our church and our service, but we also do it through the Family Center, which is why we started that and offering that to the community so that our community, all of us, can learn what it means to relate to God the way that he created us to and to relate to each other the way he created us to. So this is vitally important. And Paul is gonna show us what we need to do in order to see this happen, all right? So uh, let's go to verse 20. All right, so they're, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? basically what he says. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If, you have heard, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's, okay, this is what we have to do. We have to take off that old man, that old woman, that old person. We need to take off that old us, that us that saw things the way the world sees things. And we need to put on the new man, the new woman, the new mind, the new understanding, which we are taught in Christ so that we don't get caught up in all of those other worldly things. We are transforming, changing, being molded. One of the translations uh, used a word that jumped right off the page to me, and it said forged, forged by God. That he is, and forging is, is an amazing process. Uh, I, I love it. I've never actually done it. But my, one of my favorite shows is Forged in Fire. I've seen every single episode of it. It's fascinating. And I feel like maybe I could make a knife if I had to. Just from watching the show. I know more about blacksmithing. That's what that show is about. I know more about blacksmithing than anyone in the history of the world who has never blacksmithed. All right? But, but, 
One of the things I love that they do on that show is that often the, the challenge, you've got four competitors, it's a reality competition show. They have to take something old, broken, used, or whatever, and take the metal, the, 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 the hardenable metal off of that thing and transform it into a knife that they then test and compare and, and get rated on. But it's such an incredible process of taking something old and rusty and dirty and used and transforming it into something new and beautiful and useful. And that is the process that God is doing with us. I was watching a, uh, I was watching a, you have to cease to be the old thing, right? You have to cease to be the old thing to become the new thing. You have to be transformed. And uh, I was watching an episode the other day. I thought this was a great example. They were, they had to uh, create a Damascus billet out of some random things. And one of the guys chose a chainsaw chain. So you can actually take the chain from a chainsaw, this hardenable steel there, and uh, take that and put it into a, into a canister of Damascus and make uh, this, this solid piece of metal out of this old chainsaw chain. And then when he was done, he created this beautiful knife that performed incredibly in the, in the test. And it was just a beautiful picture to me of this, the, the rough cut of the chainsaw, the, just like the rawness of a chainsaw blade cutting through something, and then the precision of the knife cutting through it. And what God is doing with us and wants us to do is to put off that old man, that old way of thinking, this, this sort of this selfish, sort of brutal way of relating to people and to put on this new and beautiful understanding of the world and our relationships where we love our neighbor as ourself. And we take the attention and the focus off of ourselves and we put it on them. And we see something beautiful flourish as a result. And we can choose these things in our relationships and it will improve all of our relationships. Now, with believers, we should expect them to be doing these same things and returning them. And we hope that they are. And those are the most incredible relationships that we have. But sometimes that doesn't happen because believers aren't choosing that for themselves. And then we shouldn't expect these kinds of character traits and things coming from people who are not believers because they haven't made the same commitments that we've made. So what we want to do is introduce them to Christ and allow Christ to transform them and take them from the old man to the new man. All right, so what Paul is going to do here as we keep reading in Ephesians chapter 4 is he's going to give us five things here, five issues of character, things that we need to be or do if we want to experience this life that God has given to us. We're going to walk through them one by one. And as we go through them, I would encourage you to use these as a mirror for your own life and your own character and say, am I these things? Am I doing these things? All right, so let's go to verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. That's a quote from Zechariah 8, 16. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. We have to be honest with each other. Now, earlier, if you remember, I think this was last week, he said, speaking the truth in love. He was talking about leaders, people who are influential in the church, making sure they're speaking the gospel truth. That's what that was about. This is about a broader sense of being honest. If we want to relate properly to people, if we want to have the character that God wants us to have, then we have to be honest and speak the truth. Now, that goes down to little simple things, obviously, but it also expands out into much broader, wider things. Because one of the greatest relationship killers in our life is dishonesty. And that's not just, I mean, I'm not just talking about lying here and there. I'm talking about hiding things, keeping things secret, not walking in the light or in the open. 
it will drive a wedge in our relationships and crush them. If we're not honest with each other, we will never experience fellowship with each other because we'll always be afraid. That's what happens when we lie, when we're hiding things, when we have secrets or we have double lives or whatever it may be, is we end up living in the dark because we're afraid. We're afraid of somebody finding out, finding out who we really are, how we really think, what we're really doing. And so we tend to stuff those things deeper and deeper. They become darker and darker. They become, well, more shame is associated with them, more fear, anxiety is associated with them. They begin to weigh heavier and heavier on our shoulders until eventually they crush us. And they crush our relationships and drive a wedge right down the middle. Um, this week I was listening to a, I just caught it on YouTube. I was um, watching the um, Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. He's a pastor, has a leadership podcast. And I saw that he had John Christ on his show. And if you're not, I don't know if you're familiar with John Christ or not, but he's a comedian. And when he first, without going into all the details, when he first started his career, he was a Christian comedian. He did a lot of church videos and stuff. It was really funny stuff. And he, he really hit it big on, on um, YouTube and with videos and skits and things that he would do. Really funny. And he started going out and doing stand-up and touring and got really, really big. And he was a young single guy and that came from a very strict home. And when he got out on the road, he, his whole life transformed. And he started doing all the things as you would imagine like a rock star doing. You know, he was, he was uh, partying all the time and having, you know, affairs with women and all this stuff. He, was, he wasn't married. He was single, but he was having all these relationships and, and out on the road. And yet he was a Christian comedian. And so everybody had this picture of who he was or who they thought he was. But he was doing all of this stuff when he was out on the road and living like just everybody else would. And so he was just doing that, and he talks about that as if living a double life. He said, I had my, you know, my professional Christian comedian life in front of everybody, and then I had my real life that I was actually living back here that I was keeping hidden from everybody as I was out, except that a, a publication, a Christian publication, found out about it, started doing some investigative journalism, and, and eventually wrote an expose, like, you think this is who this guy is, and this is who he really is, and brought out all the details from it. And the second that article came out, he canceled his tour and just disappeared. He was gone for like two years. Didn't, nobody heard anything from him. And then two years later, he pops back up and he starts doing comedy again, but not Christian comedy. It was still clean, but not, he wasn't doing, he was doing, he was doing venues at churches and stuff before. No, no venues at churches. Stopped talking about, you know, church stuff as much wasn't on any church podcast or anything. And from the outside looking in, I watched him and I thought, oh, here we, here we go again. You know, like, it's just happened again. You know, somebody, somebody's leading, a, they're in ministry or they're in, they're in a ministry type of position. They're leading a double life. They get outed. They disappear for a little bit. And then they think they, they're just going to come back and be accepted or whatever and not repentant and not any of that stuff. And so I've, I've, and he, so he's been doing that comedy now for a couple of years. I think he's got a Netflix special now and like getting big again. And I was just, I've judged him, honestly. Just, I've been like, I thought that he was one thing. And I was like, so I'm going to watch this podcast because I'm curious. I want to know what he has to say. And I listened to the podcast and I was totally wrong. Totally wrong about him. And he talks in the podcast about how he got to where he was. The reason he disappeared for two years because he went to rehab voluntarily, went to rehab, dealt with some things, realized what was really driving what was going on in his life, recommitted himself to the Lord, made amends to the people he needed to make amends to. 
And then when he went through that entire healing and restoration process as led by the spiritual leaders in his life, when he finished with that process and decided he wanted to get back into comedy because it's what his career and life and passion was, he found that no churches would let him come in to do comedy. He had been completely blackballed by the, the Christian community. And so he, he told Carrie Newhoff on the podcast, this is, he's four years later, he's been sober for four years. Four years later, doing comedy, he said, this is the first Christian podcast I've been on since I came back. They just won't let me. But he's very humble about it. He's not judgmental about it. He's, he's like, I understand. I get it. You know, I lied to them. So I understand. <laughs> I understand why they would feel this way. And so it's, I think it's a beautiful story of redemption, even though I can't vouch for the man because I don't know him personally. But, but I think it's a beautiful story of redemption. But what really struck me when he was talking was when he shared what was going on in his heart and mind before it all broke loose. When he would be in, his, in the green room and he knew that he had been out partying and doing whatever the night before and then he may even be drunk in the green room and, and he's in there and he looks out the window and he sees this line of people that are lined up to see his show and he looks at them and he thinks, if you guys actually knew who I was, you wouldn't be here. And I was like, ooh, I get that. <laughs> I get that as a pastor. I, the, things that, the things that I struggle with and the things that I walk through and, and the, the temptations that I have or the thoughts that I have or whatever, I think that all the time. Like, boy, if you knew what I, who I really was. And I think we all do that. I think we all do that. And what it does is it drives us into the dark. It causes us to lead different lives and it drives a wedge in between our relationships. And so the best thing that we can do is be honest. I thought it was interesting when, one of the questions that, that Carrie Newhoff asked John Christ on the, on, the, um, on the podcast was, what recommendation would you give to somebody right now who's living in the dark like that? Who's living a double life like that? And John said, well, I would tell them to be honest and to come out into the light because it was the best thing that ever happened to me. He said, but I don't really have any authority to do that because I didn't choose honesty. Honesty was chosen for me. And I'm telling you, it's, it, it, when, when, you are, when you are hiding that or when you're keeping that secret or you're lying about that thing, you end up just having to lie to cover lies and it ends up getting darker and deeper and you think that maybe you can keep it hidden and probably you can't. But even if you can, it's not the life, the life to live. And so it's a, it's a big decision to choose honesty. First of all, being honest with God as if he doesn't already know. <laughs> but, but having the fortitude to say, God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what's happening in my heart. This is what's happening in my life. And confessing that to him so that you may be healed. And then also to do as scripture says, which is confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And to be honest with someone about it and to make that choice before that choice is made for you. That is deathly, that is terrifying for us as people. But if you're in that position and you want to walk in the light and the way God has created you to, to, to walk, then honesty is the choice that you need to make and to know who and when to say it to. And then I'll throw on the back end of that as Christians, we need to walk in grace and be ready to receive that kind of honesty in a way that pleases the Lord. All right. So that that wedge isn't driven. All right. So got to move on from that. It said, speak the truth with his neighbor for members of one another. Verse 26. 
be angry and do not sin. That's a quote from Psalm 4.4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, some people have misunderstood this or misapplied this verse. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, which means keep it burning, baby. You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> not what that means. That's not what that means. All right. Psalm 4.4. Let me just let me read the verse it comes from. Uh, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Okay. We, we need to, we're going to be angry. This is natural. This is normal for us. We're going to be angry. What we do with that anger really matters. Be angry and do not sin. Lay in your bed and meditate on it. Think first. Process first. All right? Think it through. And then um, just a few verses later, Psalm 4, 8. I will, lie, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So we, we need to put our anger in perspective, all right? Be angry, but do not sin. Approach it, follow it the right way. We need to decide what to do with that anger. We need, when we're angry, when there's an issue, we need to deal with it. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But we need to, we need to deal with it. If, if you're angry with somebody and you just stuff it, because we need to stop and we need to process and think, but if you just stuff it, and bury it, then what ends up happening is we harbor resentment towards one another. And to harbor resentment towards another believer and refuse to forgive them or follow a process of forgiveness would be sinful. So don't be angry and sin and stuff it and harbor resentment. That'll drive a wedge in your relationships. But also don't be angry and just fly off the handle (laughs) in dealing with it. Process it and deal with it in the way that God would be pleased with. Now, when we talk about this within the church, Jesus actually specifically gave us a process for doing this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. When another believer sins against you. Now, this passage in Matthew 18 is often used by churches in a process they call church discipline. And I'll let them figure out what to do with that. I don't think that's what this verse is actually talking about. But this this passage in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about interpersonal conflict between two believers where one believer sins against the other believer. Sometimes they know they did it. Sometimes they don't know that they did it. But in Matthew 18, Jesus says, this is what you do. So you deal with it so that you are angry and you do not sin. Here's what you do with it. If your brother or sister sins against you, first, you go to them one-on-one. That's scary. People don't want to do it. People often don't do it, and they triangulate their problems rather than actually doing what Jesus said, which is you go to that person and you tell them their sin. Sometimes they know they did it. They need to be confronted. Sometimes they don't know they did it. But you go to them and tell them their sin. If they repent of that sin, you've won your brother over. It's an unbelievable moment when you go to someone and you say, that hurt me, that hurt my feelings, that did this or whatever, you sinned against me, and they repent and say, I'm so, so sorry, will you please forgive me? Those moments are binding between people. All right. But Jesus says, now, if they don't listen to you, Then what you do is you get two or three witnesses so that everything can be attested. So now you bring a couple other brothers and sisters in Christ into the conversation. You talk about what happened and let them assess that. And then if the person repents, that's fantastic. You've won over your brother. That's awesome. But if they don't, if they don't repent of that sin, then you take it to the church. 
So for us, that would be our elders. So then you let the elders know, you talk about that together, and you try to come to a resolution and, and reach repentance. And if the person repents, that's fantastic. You've won your brother over. It's, it's creating unity and fellowship. But if not, if they won't listen even to the church, then he said you treat them as an unbeliever, a non-believer. Now, that does not mean, by the way, that you, that, you, that you ostracize them, cast them out, that you're rude to them or whatever. That's not what you do with unbelievers. What you do with unbelievers is you realize that they have not committed their life to following Christ and honoring God. So you don't expect that from them. And you treat them with grace and love, hoping that they come to a knowledge of Christ and what he's done for them, and that they then repent. So that's what he's talking about. You're not writing this person off or punishing them or whatever. You're just recognizing, okay, they are not committed to a Christ-like life. They're not committed to following the scripture or the church. And so they are going to, I'm going to treat them as I would anyone else. All right. He gave us the process for this so that we could be together in unity. Be angry and do not sin. All right, let's go to verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now this, is, this is an interesting one to me. It feels a little bit out of left field, but what he's talking about is somebody who has, not somebody who's like stealing because they, they need food to live or something like that, He's talking about someone who views their relationships uh, and stealing is the, out, the outpouring of this mentality. But this is somebody who looks at their relationships as what they can get from the other person. And he said, don't look at yourself and your life and your relationships that way, as if I'm just looking at you to see what I can receive from you, what I can get from you. Instead, in this case, he's talking about stealing. This is the context. But, so don't steal from people and take from them so that you can have. Instead, if you can, work and produce, so that, not just so that you can have, but work and produce so that you're ready to help others and to give. So this is a changing of your mentality of your relationships from being a consumer to being a producer. That's the big picture here. That We talked about this all the time that if we want to have healthy relationships, we need to realize that I exist to serve this person. This person does not exist to serve me. And when we make that change, everything changes. So he's not talking about someone, he's talking about someone who's a parasite, okay? Don't be a parasite. Be a producer so that you can help others. If, if, I, if I work, if I earn, it's not just so that I can have. It's not just so that I can spend it on the things that I want. If I earn, I'm a believer in Christ, if I earn, I have, I have these things or these possessions, it's so that I can, yes, take care of myself, yes, take care of my family, but also so that I'm ready to share and help other people when that time comes up. And I've spent a lot of time on the, the giving side of that and the receiving side of that, and I'll tell you that when that's happening, when you're either giving to someone to help them or receiving from someone as they, help, as they choose to help you, there are a few times in life where you feel as close and connected to someone as when that's happening when you realize that they care about you and you care about them over yourselves, it's a powerful, powerful thing. It's the way God created us to live. It's the way he created us to serve and to walk in love. All right, All right. 29, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
Edification, I talk, we've used this word a good bit lately, but that's not a word we use very often, but an edifice is a building. So edification is building up. That's what it means. So he's, <laughs> sorry, are you, can you hear the kids? <laughs> I don't know what's going on down there, but they're having a good time. <laughs> All right. Our words, there, there is a clear difference between words that are destructive and words that are constructive. And if we want to have relationships, relationship with God, relationship with other people that are healthy and fulfilling and all those things, our words need to be constructive and not destructive. And we really need this as a mirror to reflect on the way we speak, the way we speak to our children, if you have children, the way we speak to our spouse, if you have a spouse, the way we speak to our parents, if you have parents, the way we speak to our boss and our coworkers and our employees or our teachers or our classmates or our coaches, the way we speak to people in public, the way we speak specifically, particularly to each other within the body of Christ. Are my words constructive or are my words destructive? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's a verse that gets talked about a lot. What's it talking about? Actually, when you read it in context, you understand it in context, it's, it's really simple. You have been sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption, which means if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, if you put your faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection, if you've received that gift of salvation and you become a child of God, you are a child of God and the Spirit has sealed that, Right? You are a child of God and you will spend eternity with him. So if you are a child of God and you will spend eternity with him, but you and I are choosing to walk and think and act like everybody else around us instead of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, if we're choosing to walk the way everyone else does and, and if we're choosing to walk in anger and selfishness and pride and all those things, the word grieve means to sadden, to sadden, to make sorrowful, to offend, to distress. And so if we're choosing to live the way everyone else lives and to relate the way everyone else lives, instead of living the way Jesus lived, showed us to live, it breaks the Spirit's heart. That's what it means. That he looks at us and goes, I love you so much and I have so much, such a better life planned for you but you're walking in the dark and you're, you're focusing on yourself and you're allowing anger and resentment to, to, to plant itself within your heart. And I have something so much better for you. That grieves him. It grieves him to know that he has this awesome, incredible, beautiful thing in our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. And we're choosing something else. It grieves him. He says in verse 31, let all bitterness... That's, uh, the word means ac acridity, like poison. Okay, let all bitterness, wrath, that's, that's momentary, inflamed, passionate anger. Bitterness, wrath, anger. And this, is, this word gives the, the idea of a disposition of anger. So somebody who has a, a poor temper, <laughs> okay. Anger, clamor. Clamor is crying out in distress. It's the, the act, the shouting, the screaming of anger. Clamor and evil speaking or slanderous, injurious speech. Evil speaking be put away from you. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. 
with all malice, which is ill will or the desire to injure, with all malice. And what are we supposed to do? Be kind to one another. This is how you walk in the life you've been created for. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Not callous. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. This is the relationships where we are kind and tender-hearted and gracious are our closest, deepest, most fulfilling relationships. After Jesus, in Matthew 18, after Jesus gave them that pattern for interpersonal conflict, Peter speaks up, as he usually does. Peter speaks up and says, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Like, when's enough enough? Seven times? Huh? <laughs> Seven feels like a good, that's the number of perfection, right? I, I, surely that number's good. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 70 times seven. She's like, oh, 490? You know? <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what Jesus is saying. Every time. Because what God wants to see in his family is reconciliation, restoration, love, sacrifice, and service. I think about this with my kids, and I watch the way that they interact with each other. I think about the way that I interacted with my brother and sister growing up, and just within our little little microcosm of a family. I, what do I want my kids to do? Do I want them to be focused on themselves? No. Do I want them to be angry with one another? No. Do I want them to harbor resentment against each other? No. Do I want them to be selfish and to steal from each other? Definitely not. I'll take it away from them if they do that. Right? Do, do I, what do I want for them? I want them to learn how to love and to, to care for each other and to protect each other and to focus on the, 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 the group over just themselves. I want them to grow in love and unity as siblings. It's the same thing God wants from us. But it begins with a personal decision to say, this is the kind of person I'm going to be. Because I've trusted in Christ as my Savior and because he's filled me with the Spirit and because I'm, I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus, I want to walk and live and love the way that he created me too. And so I'm going to commit to being a person of character. We've been making commitments through this series. Last one, I'm going to commit to being a person of character. I'm going to be who Jesus was. I'm going to be who he wants me to be. And pray and hope that I'm in relationships with people who make the same choice. And in this church, we're going to make this decision individually with each other and with each other. And then I'm, but I'm going to maintain that character even if I'm in a relationship with someone who won't choose it for themselves. Because they're a believer who is not committed to it or they're a non-believer. But I am going to commit to being these things in all of my relationships. I'm going to take off the old man and put on the new. And when we make these choices in our relationships, and you may see that in some very key relationships or at periods of time in your life, the unity and the closeness and the fellowship that that creates is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so we need God's continued guidance as we learn and grow in this area. Let's go to him in prayer now. Ask him to settle this in our hearts and minds and show us what he needs and wants us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, displayed in such a perfect and complete way on the cross, sending your son to die in our place. And so first and foremost, Lord, we thank you for that. 
We thank you that you are love and displayed your love in that act of sacrifice. Christ, you gave your life on the cross, paying for our sin in full, being placed in the tomb and rising again on the third day. And we know that we can become God, a, God, we can become a part of your family simply by faith and trust in that work on the cross. And so Jesus, many of us in this room have put our faith in you. We have done that a long time ago. I pray that someone today believes in your death and resurrection in their place, that they would trust in you for salvation today, that they become a part of your family with us, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And as we're learning in this life, where, where we are surrounded by messages, messaging, noise, influence all over the place, telling us how we're supposed to think about our relationships, how we're supposed to think about people, how we're supposed to think about ourselves, how we're supposed to evaluate ourselves, how we're supposed to react in situations. All of this, God, is around us, and we're being bombarded with it day by day. But we don't want to be shaped by that anymore. We want to be shaped by your word. We want to be shaped by the spirit. We want to be shaped into the image of Jesus. And so open our eyes. First and, firstly, open our eyes and show us where we're living in a worldly way. If maybe that's dishonesty. Maybe we have secrets that we're hiding and we're not being honest about them. Things that are in our present, things that are in our past that are driving a wedge in our relationship with you and with each other. Father, show us what those things are and how to be honest. Maybe it's a focus on ourselves. God, we're looking at our relationships as what we can get out of them. Turn our mind and heart. That we look at our relationships as an opportunity to serve and to produce and to benefit others. Father, we may have anger in our heart toward another person or toward even another believer. Anger that we've, we've stuffed or we're, we're, maybe we're letting that out in the wrong way or maybe we're holding it within and it's causing bitterness, poison, it's causing resentment and we have to deal with it in order to walk in the way you want us to. And so for anyone that, that is the case, Father, speak to them in the leadership of the Spirit in this moment. Show them what that pain is. Show them what that anger is and what they need to do to deal with it and to walk through it in a way that brings you honor and glory. God, in all of these things, if it's anger, malice, strife, anything, where we're allowing the old man to drive a wedge in between us and you or between us and our brothers and sisters, show us what it is. We'll commit to being people of character, people of Christ-like character. Jesus, we, we want you to lead us and to transform us. We're looking forward to the day, Christ, when you're gonna return. When you return and you establish your kingdom here and we live under your rule and reign. And we wanna be the kinds of people, the kinds of citizens of that kingdom that bring you honor and glory, that truly reflect the character of our king, of our leader. And so continue that process in our heart and in our life today. Show us how to walk more completely in the life and the love that you've created us for.
It's in your name we pray. Amen.